Good morning, everybody. I thought it was really fitting. I was just talking with some friends and realized, oh yeah, I should probably go up and like preach. Um, but we're talking about life-giving relationships, and it's so fitting because I was getting life from my friends. So anyway, good morning, everybody. Again, I want to welcome you to Finding Life Church. My name is Mallory Acey. Every time I get up here and talk, I think I tell you that I'm humbled and um, excited and honored to be on our teaching team, because I know you could be anywhere else this morning, but instead you're here and you've decided, um, maybe against your will, I don't know, hopefully not, to give me the next half hour. <laughs> you get to listen to what God's been doing in my heart, so I'm thankful that you're here. Prior to the summer, um, we were in a series that was following the biblical narrative, kind of digging deeper into the Old Testament, um, looking at maybe differently um, what God cares about and who he is and how he's unchanging, even through the Old Testament, because um, sometimes that's hard for us to connect Old Testament God to New Testament God, but he doesn't change through all of that. But anyway, I want us to keep that focus of looking for what he cares about as we continue to dive into the life-giving practices, because um, we still have a lot to learn about God's heart, um, especially with number three this morning, life-giving practice of life-giving relationships, like I mentioned. So Travis has been teaching us for the past two weeks um, about life-giving prayer and life-giving impact. And like he mentioned during announcements, if you're involved in a life group, you're going even further with this and digging into the Discover the Life book. Um, and he mentioned, but I want to say it again because it's so important to us um, that we all just build our community and stay connected and life-giving um, or life groups is the best way for you to do that. So go talk to Travis if you are at all interested, even in learning about what that looks like um, and possibly getting plugged into one this morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> so life groups are so important to us because that's where we really get to dig into these life-giving practices. We really get familiar with them, and for a lot of us, it's where our hearts begin to be transformed by these, and we make them part of our everyday lives. Kind of as a side note, I'm really glad that we never stop calling them life-giving practices because I certainly haven't mastered them, and it's good to know and just kind of a relief to know that I get to keep growing and practicing with these things. Um, so with that in mind, let's just pray before I really get in. God, I'm so thankful that you invite us into relationship with you just as we are that we don't have to perform to please you, we don't have to check boxes throughout our day to make you happy, and that you want relationship with us just like we are. God, make us receptive to the truth and the challenges that you have for our hearts, whatever it is that you want to teach each one of us individually this morning. Um, I surrender what I've prepared and pray that you would be the one to move in our hearts this morning. Amen. So, practice number three, life-giving relationships, um, in case you're not familiar with it, is defined like this in that book that we're going through. Life-giving relationships are an invitation to live in community, a little more from the heart, a little more honest with ourselves and with others. We're embracing the hope that God himself is able and willing to heal our brokenness as we seek him together. So Travis has reminded us over the past few weeks that also we are a value-driven church. So we have seven core values that shape every decision our leadership makes, um, and we encourage you guys to dig into those values as well, and hopefully that's something that you are living out. 
um, and pursuing because they're modeled after Jesus' heart. And ultimately, in all of this, our desire is just to grow to be more like him. So if it wasn't clear, that's also why we do the life-giving practices. Um, they help us to live into these values of surrender, dependency, authenticity, graciousness, focus, immersion, and multiplication. And so life-giving prayer, or no, life, I'm talking about life-giving relationships. <laughs> life-giving relationships um, provide us an opportunity then to grow, especially in surrender, authenticity, dependency, graciousness, and really no matter, I mean, it kind of depends on what God's doing in your heart. It could be an opportunity for you to grow in all of those values. Um, so that's why this one is important. I don't know how many of you have written a sermon, <laughs> but I still freak out just a little bit each time I'm preparing to share with you because there's a lot of responsibility and I feel a real weight to give you something that um, is authentic and something that is meaningful, something that comes straight from God and he will use in your hearts. Um, I, please don't hear that as complaining, <laughs> even though I get nervous and um, whatever, I freak out a little bit. I'm not, I'm not complaining because I feel such an honor to be able to share with you, but this week, um, well, I started a little bit last week preparing, um, I just kind of felt blah about this sermon. Like, I mean, there's plenty of people out here who have been practicing life-giving relationships for years, and they probably have way better stories than me about how God has changed their hearts and impacted them as they dig into this. So who really wants to hear from me about life-giving relationships? And then Wednesday happened, and I had a really crazy day on Wednesday, and God was moving in just huge ways to show me just how important life-giving relationships are to our physical well-being. He wants to use relationships to save people's lives. I'm sounding really dramatic, but I'm so serious. Um, not their souls, because only faith in Jesus can do that, but God can and will use relationships to physically save people's lives. So imagine, for a second, being in total isolation. For some of us, that sounds really incredible. <laughs> My mind goes straight to, like, full-on relaxation mode, Nobody needs me. I can be alone. I can have the time and space I need to think through the thoughts I can't think through otherwise um, or to do the things that I want to do for myself. It sounds like a dream day, and in roughly three weeks, that will only ever be a dream anymore, I'm sure. Um, but only for so long, right? Because we need relationships. I would miss my family and friends. I'd probably go kooky if I were alone for too long. We need relationships. There are plenty of things I'm capable of doing on my own, but I need people in my life who have different strengths than me. Right now, that includes people who can more easily reach my feet to tie my shoes or paint my toenails. Thanks, Alex. He hasn't painted my toenails, actually, and I asked him if he would, and I don't think, well, I don't know. I'm going to figure out some way to bribe him into doing it. Anyway, it's a strength that he has that I don't right now. <laughs> I need people who think differently than me, who have different life experiences. At work, I need people who know more than me so that I can learn and grow and keep getting better at my job. And in the context of life group especially, I need those women in my life because they've learned different truths than me. They can speak to my heart about things that maybe I'm still struggling to believe. They encourage me along my journey with God because they've been there. We can't thrive in isolation. And I would say 
if we're isolated for very long, we can't even survive like that, as appealing as it sounds some days. But this is what makes life-giving relationships so important. This practice begins with the assumption that relationships are vital to a fulfilling life. It's an invitation into intentional disclosure and authenticity, which sounds scary, I know, but the alternative is worse. Maybe you've been there. Maybe there have been times in your life where you have absolutely nobody you can count on. You have no relationships, let alone any that are life-giving. I'm thankful that I can say I haven't experienced this myself, but this is what I saw on Wednesday. God gave me a pretty vivid and intense example of this with a client that I'm working with. Some of you might know a little about what I do. I work for a nonprofit in town, and I work with young adults um, to help them rediscover and strengthen and um, surround themselves with supportive relationships in their lives. Pretty handy how God has been preparing me for a year and a half. And here I thought, oh, I don't have anything to say. God's like, hello, <laughs> you've been working on this for a year and a half. Wake up. So this girl that I'm working with, um, we've been working together, I think it was since the, the very end of last year. So I've known each other, we've known each other for a little while. Since then, she's probably lived in at least five different places that I know of. Um, she's been hired at three different jobs that I know of, um, but she can't keep them because she doesn't have transportation to get there. She doesn't have money to buy the appropriate clothes for work. Um, she desperately wants to go to school, but she can recognize that couch surfing isn't a stable enough environment for her to be able to make it to class on time or to complete her assignments. Um, she doesn't have anybody that she can count on. She, even her parents have deserted her, um, and they continue to do so every day, and she feels that isolation every day when they don't support her, when they're not involved. She knows what it means to need people on a completely different level, and nobody should have to go through that. Um, if that's not enough, recently she found herself in a situation where her life was being threatened. She desperately needed someone to physically save her from a trap that she had fallen into. By her own determination, and the very rare compassion of a few family members, though, um, and the work of God, she was able to get out of it. Um, and her mindset was, just keep moving forward. Just keep going. Um, don't acknowledge what happened. Um, it'll go away. So she and I had some goals that we were working on together. And we met up this week, and she didn't mention it at first. Um, she just, like I said, wanted to jump right back into life like nothing had happened. She wanted to ignore it, and part of her probably thought, if I can just distance myself enough mentally and with miles, it will just go away, and I won't have to deal with it. I know she felt embarrassed and broken and unworthy of the help that she knew she needed, and thankfully, she couldn't hide in those feelings. Thankfully, she decided to speak up and to ask for help. I have no idea how difficult it must have been for her to disclose the situation to me and to reveal that brokenness she was so desperately feeling. And she even said it as we were talking about it, that taking the risk to share with me was so scary. It was so risky for her. What if I didn't believe her? What if I blamed her and told her, well, you should have known better, or why didn't you see all these red flags? You could have kept yourself from getting into this situation. 
um, I obviously can't share with you more details, but I hope that you see where I'm going with this. She took a chance and she shared her heart with me. Even the little bit of support that she felt from me was enough for her to open her heart totally wide and, and beg for the help that she knew she needed. Because of that bravery, because of that authenticity, I was able to connect her with the right people who will protect her, who will get her stable, and who will give her the tools that she needs to heal and grow. Now, it's a pretty extreme example, but you can be sure that the power that God will demonstrate when we support each other in life-giving relationships and healing prayer is no less extreme than that story and what that girl went through. So I mentioned healing prayer. If you're not in a life group, maybe you're not familiar with that. Right off the bat, it can sound a little churchy, like, I don't know, churchy, I guess. Um, you know what I mean, obviously. But you need to know that just like the rest of these practices we've been talking about, there's nothing like super spiritual about this. There's a verse in Psalm 147 that says, he heals the brokenhearted. James 5, 13 through 18 um, talks about, or it's kind of where this, this practice came from, I think. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And this is the key. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So part of cultivating these life-giving relationships with one another is sharing that tough stuff. And it's not sharing just to get it off our chest, but it's sharing because the way that God intends for the body of Christ to support one another is to come alongside each other in prayer. We talk a lot about our brokenness. None of us is able to avoid brokenness, though we try to hide it. Um, each one of us is struggling with something, and God is definitely willing and able to heal our hearts. When they were writing the Discover the Life group, or Discover the Life book, Neil and Judy didn't come across some secret verses that nobody had heard of before and come up with some magical prayer that heals us. Healing prayer is simply our response to truth. It's our response and our attempt at helping each other grow in the values that we've modeled after Jesus' life. So in that way, this practice can significantly change your heart and your whole life, but not because we've got something magical figured out. It's because when we enter relationship with Jesus and we follow his example in prayer, surrender, dependency, God honors that and he does miracles. Practically and very simply put, when we practice life-giving relationships together, we share our brokenness with each other, the heart-level struggles that we're facing, and then we pray for each other that God would heal us and make us whole. I want to read something else to you that is a really great picture of what I think is happening really when we pray for each other, maybe a little more tangible example. It's from a devotional that sometimes I read called She Reads Truth. And I'm just going to read it. I just can't open my Bible, I told them. 
They were only asking for prayer requests, but I was surrounded by people who loved me, and it felt safe enough to just be honest. It had been four months since we buried our stillborn daughter, and just as many since my aching arms had reached for my Bible. My very wounded heart, which lived and breathed and clung to the book like never before throughout the uncertainty of my pregnancy, felt betrayed, weak, and hopeless. There I sat in Tara's living room with a dozen other women circled up for the first Bible study I'd attended since our Evie Grace was born. I really only came because I needed to get out of the house. My soul was weary, but no one gasped at my words. No one troubleshot. Instead of judgment, and even instead of, you've just got to read it, my very blonde and very quiet friend, Allison, opened the worn pages of the Bible in her lap and simply said, that's okay, let me read it to you. Lifting her bookmark from its place, she began to read Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. As she read on through the end of the chapter, these friends of mine gathered closer. And when Allison finished, Carrie began reading from her Bible, and then Holly, and then Danielle. Like I was a person starving, too weak to lift food to my own mouth, they spoon-fed scripture while I sat and wept and listened to the word that never stopped being alive or true, even when it remained unread and unopened. This is the kind of power that healing prayer has. When we come to a place in our hearts where we've run out of ideas about what to do or about how to even go on, we need people in our lives who will pray alongside us and who will pray in our place sometimes for healing. What we don't need from each other is advice. It's not helpful to minimize the issue or even in that setting just to relate with one another. God's plan for how to fix the issue for how to heal our hearts is way better than anything any of us can come up with anyway. What we need when we come to that place is someone who will listen. Hear me, understand me, accept me, and pray for me that God would heal the brokenness I'm experiencing in my heart. In life group, when somebody confides in you then, when someone confides in us, we have a responsibility to respect her, accept her, and honor her need for confidentiality, and keep praying. So in the book, the Browers put it this way. The reality is that much of what is going on inside of us is blocking our connection with self, others, and with God. This blockage is keeping us from experiencing the joy and life he offers. When we finally decide we'd like to change, we quickly realize our helplessness to change. If we could fix our flaws ourselves, we already would have, but we can't, we've tried, and then we tried harder. But the choice is ours to keep hiding or to share honestly for the purpose of healing in the context of real relationships. Our hope is in God's promise to work in us through prayer. Because remember, I'm not praying, not, I'm not confessing a sin so that I can be forgiven. I'm identifying something broken inside that makes me sin and asking a friend to, to ask Jesus to fix what I can't fix. So in this little mini-series that we're doing, we've heard from a couple different people, um, and I want to continue that um, to hear how you guys have been impacted by these life-giving practices. I would guess, like I said earlier, if you've engaged in this practice at all, you guys have some really great stories to share. Um, when we invite God into our relationships like this, 
That's just always how the case is going to be. He never disappoints. So this morning, Casey Henson is here, <laughs> and she's going to share with us um, a little bit about what God has been doing in her heart and her experience um, in life group and life-giving relationships. So I'm going to let her take it away for just a few minutes. Hey. <laughs> I'll just, you want to use that? Okay, okay. Okay, is this on? <laughs> Hi, for those of you I have not formally met, I am Casey Henson. Um, my family and I started coming to Finding Life about four or five years ago. Just to give you a little background, uh, I was raised Catholic, and we'd been attending a Catholic church until we started coming here. Sorry, I'm a little nervous. I don't like getting up and talking in front of people. <laughs> when it came to prayer, I was used to talking to God privately or praying the Hail Mary or our Father as a group. I was definitely not comfortable with telling others about my private issues and, sorry, asking for prayer about it. I felt like that was between me and God, and uh, nobody else really needed to know what was going on, uh, the crazy mess I had in fear of being judged by it. But then I started attending Life Group and learning about all the life-giving practices. At first, it was hard to get used to, and I still struggle with praying out loud. But listening to others openly share what was truly going on in their hearts and asking a group of other women to pray for them has really changed how I feel. Now, whenever I'm struggling for something, I definitely ask for prayer. Earlier this year, my 14-year-old son, Sam, his best friend was going through a really rough time at home. So we let his friends stay with us. In the meantime, his mom had decided she was going to move to Dallas, Texas, and asked if we would keep him through the duration of the school year. Regardless of what type of reaction I had, I needed prayer. I had no idea what to do. So that's when I asked my fabulous life group women to pray for me. I needed wisdom knowing what was the right thing to do. I struggled not knowing if it was better for him to stay here where his friends were, but away from his mom or with his mom and move away from everything he knows. I also needed prayer for my son, Sam. He was going to, how was he going to act if his friend does end up living with us? This was not going to be a world record of the longest sleepover. They would eventually get sick of each other, and it could get real ugly, and so could I. Or what if his best friend moves away? How is he going to handle that? Eventually, Emiliano, that was his friend's name, moved to Dallas with his mom. It was really hard on our entire family. Sam and Nano, that's what we called him, would talk on Facebook every once in a while at first, but now Nano has a phone, so they talk a lot more, which is great. He's doing really good. He actually got into a pretty good art school for his this coming school year and is really excited. The boys were really hoping to see each other this summer, but it didn't work out, so hopefully soon we can make a trip down there or we can get him to come up here. Yes, it's still very difficult to be totally open about or and honest about real hard issues. Life is definitely messy, but the peace I've gotten after opening up to my life group ladies is totally worth it. It's so awesome to have a community of other women who care about me and are willing to pray for me at my worst without judging me. And through all of that, it draws me closer to God. He's teaching me it's okay to be real, even when it's scary. Thank you for sharing, Casey. Um, maybe I say it every time. I get scared to come up and talk too, so <laughs> hey, it's real. Um, but it's, it is scary to be authentic with people. Um, so 
really though, thank you for taking it a step further and sharing with all of us. I really love hearing the stories in our community about how God is working in our church because he's building his kingdom right here. We can experience the kind of support he intends for us to have, um, the kind of support that we want and need to feel from each other when we open up like that. Um, maybe you're noticing, but these, the four practices really fit together. They all build on each other. Um, we need life-giving truth because that's what God uses to show us that we need healing prayer. So when our hearts are changing and believing new and incredible things about God, he's going to reveal things in our own hearts that need to be changed or that need healing, that need to be surrendered to him. These tend not to be one and done kind of feelings. There's, um, there's some risk in that too because usually it's not just something that I've experienced this week, but it's something that I've been struggling with for a long time. And it's not something that's probably going to go away with just one session of healing prayer. Um, trust me, some of the ladies that I've been in life group with can tell you that there are seasons in my life when I've prayed for the same heart-level struggle for months at a time and probably should continue to do so. But what's great is God already knows. He knows your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows the truth that he's teaching you and bringing you to. And his timing is perfect, even in this. We may think that because God wants us to be more like him, that with just one prayer, he'll swoop in and change our hearts and it'll all be done. But that's not the way he works. His timing is perfect. And change takes time. And surrender is a process. And we have a lot to learn when God is healing us. When we worship together in life-giving prayer, we're creating a pretty intimate bond You've probably experienced that in life group. Um, but worshiping together in that way naturally binds us together. It's in this context then that after a little bit of time, we feel more comfortable to share our hearts with one another and then deepen those life-giving relationships. I told you from the start that I wanted to keep our focus on what matters to God in all of this, what he cares about and what he wants to do, um, who he is. And so what I've been learning comes from Psalm 107. It talks about brokenness and healing, and there are four verses that say the exact same thing. When God repeats something, it always feels like he's um, really trying to make a point. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It says four times in that chapter. Verse 29 through 31 say, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Psalm 30, verse 2 says, O Lord God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. What I'm learning about God and what he continues to care about is us, is our hearts, is our heart being whole. He cares so much that even if we've brought the brokenness on ourselves, which is usually the case, that he still wants to heal us. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14 says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Because life-giving relationships are God's idea. 
We've been created for relationship, to do life with each other, to share our struggles with people who will love us, who will speak truth into our lives, and simply pray with us for healing. This kind of relationship can certainly get started at our weekly life group meetings. Um, but it's the same thing with all four of these practices. In order to really grow in these practices, we have to be intentional. We have to engage with them throughout the week, too. So with life-giving relationships, it can be as simple as sending a text to your life group. Hey, guys, I'm really struggling with whatever. You fill in the blank. And we get to share these things with each other during our group, um, but there's a sense of security and support and community when we can do that outside of life group, too. I know when I text my life group girls that they love me, that God knows my heart so I don't have to share details, and that they will pray for healing with me. Of course, we can pray for ourselves, but the way that God designed us for relationship brings an opportunity for us to experience something really powerful when we share with each other, something really life-giving. God, thanks that you, you designed relationships um, to show your love to us, that you will use the relationships that we cultivate here um, with our life groups and with um, the people we sit next to to teach us more and more about your heart, that you will bring truth to us in that way, um, and that we know that you care about healing, that you desire for us to grow, to feel your love through these relationships. We worship you because it was your idea, um, because you invite us into that authentic relationship just as we are. Thanks that we can be um, with friends who will also accept us just as we are um, as we pray and we develop those life-giving relationships. Amen. <laughs>